Blog Talk Radio. General Quarters, Security Condition 3. Security Alert. General Quarters 3, Intruder Alert. GQ 3, Intruder Alert. Good evening, everyone. Welcome once again to Madame Perry's Salon. I am your host, your cruise director, and tonight I'm your bedtime storyteller, Madame Perry. You can call me Jennifer Perry. So tonight I'm doing something different. And actually, this was my husband's suggestion. I don't know why I didn't do it before, but I'm going to read to you. Now, things are going on all over the place, and people are have some anxieties and concerns. And in a lot of places, especially um, in Marion, North Carolina, uh, there, there are floods, um, things going on, lots of rain, storms. So what I want everyone to do, and if you've followed my post, you already know, Snuggle up in a snuggly throw or whatever you want. Get your favorite snuggle comfort beverage, whether it's hot tea, hot cocoa, hot toddy, or wine, whatever you want, and just snuggle in and let me read to you. Now, what I'm going to read are some essays from a blog I have called Madam, well, no, it's called Memoirs of a Misanthrope, actually. Memoirs of a Misanthrope, if that doesn't give you an idea what it's about, but it's a collection of essays uh, from, yes, my true life adventures. These are things that really happened to me, and uh, so you, some of you maybe have read the blog. I know it's got a lot, thankfully, it's had a lot of readers. A lot of people listen. A lot of people comment. I leave nice things, and I really appreciate all of it, just like I appreciate everyone here who uh, follows me. And if you're listening now live on Blog Talk Radio and you see that hot pink rectangle with white letters that say follow, if you haven't, please think about following. Uh, Push that button or follow on Stitcher, Apple iTunes, uh, Last FM, Podcast FM, whatever platform you listen to your podcast on. Please follow so that way you don't miss anything coming up. Now, I'm going to go ahead, as I said, I'm going to read to you tonight. I'm going to sing to you. I'm just here to give you some love. So I'm going to start off with one of the stories. Um, and as I said, if, you, if you've if you read any of these and there's one that you definitely want to hear me read, then just send me a message and I'll read it for you. And um, here we go. Now, this one is called, and this is one I wrote several years ago, it's called Uh, Job Hunting in America, Part 1. Oh, the hell. The aggravation, the damnation, and yea, verily, the humiliation of the dreaded job search. For so many years, I was denied positions and promotions I wanted in favor of those who had what I did not. 
a personal relationship with upper management, dirt on management, or a college degree. So finally at an age when most people are sending their children to the halls of higher learning, I went and I worked and studied and went off the social radar entirely until I proudly walked that walk in my robe and mortarboard. Walked prouder, I am sure, than anyone else who walked on that lovely May afternoon. And the search began. Yes, I learned they want young. Not necessarily intelligent, creative, or dependable, but young. I also learned that an entry-level position in any aspect of journalism is nearly impossible because they're filled with interns. Interns work for free, like class credit, or a stipend, slave labor. But once they've proven some measure of skill, like dressing with a minimum of material or saying awesome several times a minute without missing a gum-smacking beat, they are often hired. But feeling confident in my PR skills, I began offering to do pro bono work for folks to develop my portfolio and to be able to offer a curriculum vitae to prospective employees rather than a resume with my shining degree as the header trailed by jobs I hated that had nothing whatsoever to do with journalism. Now, I've already established the high annoyance factor, and this was in a previous blog, of temp agencies uh, in the previous chapter, those nasally airbrained twits, difficult to understand on a phone message, deceitful about pay, deceitful about the job with their weasel wording. I spend hours a day scouring the newspapers, job search websites every day, and applying for all manner of jobs. First and foremost, I look for jobs in any area of public relations, editing, etc. Can't get in without interning, working for free, or having about five years of experience in a massive portfolio. Then I go for, well, everything else, from administrative assistant to kennel attendant. Looks like I'm finally overeducated for something. I can't even get a job scooping dog dew. And when I finally get an interview, they ask me stupid questions like, how do we know you'll stay here? With a degree, you might leave for a PR job. Think about it. If I could do that, do you honestly think I would be here abasing myself now? Or the ridiculous yet still popular with small-brained interviewers, well, where do you see yourself five years from now? Five years from now? Toots, in five minutes, I'd like to see myself about as far away from your ugly mug as I can get. Or better yet, honey, I see myself in a lovely villa in Andalusia getting my daily massage while Armand Asante walks my dogs. Juan Soler makes cocktails for me and George Clooney. So, it's the interview at the weight loss clinic. As I went to the post office to mail a fresh stack of resumes, I noticed the now hiring sign in the window of the weight loss place next door. I paused, but then figured they wouldn't hire me. The sign was still there a week later, so I went in and offered my resume to the receptionist. She took it with a near-polite thanks and then went back to her magazine. I left. Three weeks later, I have a voicemail message from Sammy, an area manager, asking me to call about my resume. I do, and we set an interview for Thursday. It's raining, so I leave early to get there on time. Sammy is not there, but another area honcho, Lucille, will interview me. The very neat, very skinny, and very white Lucille 
is clad in a beige polyester pantsuit and a short blonde polyester wig. The wig and makeup alone must constitute 40% of her total weight. Speaking in a syrupy southern drawl, she speaks about the rain with terms like puddle ducking and others I've never heard. So as we walk toward the office where she will interview me, we pass a few desks on the left where three women about 35 years old are seated. I'm introduced to these women and told they are weight loss counselors. They give the distinct vibe of being abused prisoners. Indeed, with no makeup, unkempt hair that had long ago lost its ambition, they look more like homeless people who were yanked off the street and put behind the desk to make it appear to a passerby or job applicant that this was a thriving and culturally diverse business. Now, the place has been there for a few years, but as I'm walking through, it looks more like an unfinished basement or a junk closet. Lucille motions for me to take a seat in a closet-sized office with one desk, three chairs, bare walls, and a small flip chart on the desk and a cluster of a half a dozen weight loss vitamins and bars. As Lucille tells me about the company and her personal struggle with weight loss, (laughs) weight loss my foot, Skeletor Lucille is a rag of bone and a hank of wig. I sit quietly and poised in my pantsuit and crisp white blouse. I want to seem well-mannered and easy to work with for their clientele. I need the money. I smile and politely agree with everything she says. And then she hits me with a big one. Now, I am a native Southerner, and one thing that shoots up a warning flare for me is to hear an old Southern woman drawling slow as molasses, making references to the Lord, and leaning in toward me with that conspiratorial tilt of the head and squint of one eye, saying, I'm going to be honest with you, Jennifer. Ah, Warning, warning, danger, Will Robinson. I see you as a real go-getter. Am I right? You know I am. You're the kind of person who really likes to go for the prize, a real people person with a lot of energy to get what you want. I'm right, aren't I? Actually, no. I'm a low-energy misanthrope whose retirement goal is to live alone with my husband and our thundering herd of dogs in a charming cottage in Cornwall, write my books, send them off to a publisher who deposits large amounts of money in my very deserving bank account so I don't have to see no damn body I don't want to see. Well, am I right? Huh. Oh, yes. Wow, you nailed me. How did you know? Oh, I can tell, she said with an evil twinkle in her eyes. I see you in one of our management positions, and we have several opening up. Suffice it to say, the next 25 minutes are spent trying to convince me of what a lucrative business this is without telling me how much it pays. I don't care how many radio celebrities come here. I do care what goes in my bank account. Bottom line, nine to six weekdays, but you usually won't get out until 7 or 8 or 9. And 9 to 1 on Saturdays. (coughs) But you probably won't get out until 2 or 3. $150 a week base, plus a commission that was not defined, and no days off for one year. Now, do you have anything planned, Jennifer, in her most saccharine voice? Because if we give you this marvelous opportunity, and in a month, you need to be off on a Saturday for a wedding or something. 
we're going to have a real problem. Well, no wonder that sign's been in the window for two years. So long, Lucille. You can keep your crappy 150 base plus whatever and working late and no days off for a year or we'll have a problem with it. And honey, with all that money you say you make there, why don't you get yourself a good wig? Next was the small town newspaper. Ah, another faux jewel of promise from the job websites. A general assignment reporter position for a small town newspaper. I sent the requisite letter, resume, samples of my writing in a nice folder and envelope. Two weeks later, I get a nice call from the editor and made an appointment to be interviewed. The weather was severely bad due to hurricanes nearby, and my clutch was about to go out in my car. So determined was I to be prompt, despite the flooded roads and such, that I got up very early, drove my husband to his job so I could drive his car to the newspaper office. They admitted being surprised I was on time on such a day. I thought this might be my first good point. But after a nice chat, I was put in a room with some other reporters, or uh, where some other reporters worked, to take the usual writing tests. At first, there were people peeping in and whispering, wondering if this was a new girl. The first reporter I saw was a cute, petite blonde, dressed very casually, barely post-pubescent. She came in and sat at her desk and set about her work. A few minutes later, a short, older woman with dark curly hair came in and went to Baby's desk. They were to the right and behind me. While looking at the test I was taking, I heard the old one talking in a syrupy drawl to Blondie. Here, hun, I got a little something for you. Mm, okay, definitely a native to the area. Oh, thank you, the young reporter replied, although she sounded... Oh, as if she were trying to be polite and hide her contempt. And here's that little Christian book I told you I'd bring you, added with a lower, more purposeful tone, a tone full of subtext that did not go unnoticed by either me or the blonde. Now, a Georgian from birth, I know a little about the nature of my state. There are many beautiful places in Georgia from the coast to the mountains. There are also some very dangerous and deadly creatures. Among the most poisonous are the flesh-eating brown recluse spider, the venomous rattlesnake, and the righteous, holier-than-thou-wilt-ever-be church lady. My antenna are out, my shields are up. I'll be aware of this one should I get the job. A third reporter comes in, also cute and blonde, dressed to go on a picnic. This was a very casual office. Crone says something to blonde number two, who gives her a well-disguised brush-off before heading into the editor's office. Still, no one's spoken to me, probably because I'm taking a test. Both blondes leave the building, and Crone starts talking to the editor. They're not in the same office, but close enough to hear each other. David, did those people call back Friday about the fire? Uh, no. Did Jessica call them? Jessica being blonde number one, recipient of the gift and Christian book. Uh, no, I don't think so. Then why did she get the byline on my story? Huh? I said, uh, oh, wait, wait. I think they called late on Sunday and she talked to them. Before the deadline, huh? Old lady, she no happy. Uh, yeah, that's right. 
Well, that dynamic played out in just minutes. I wish my tests were longer now. I give my test to David, the editor, who examines them and says I did an excellent job. Then he brings in the publisher, William, on the remainder of the interview. There was, I noticed, a tendency on both their parts to exhibit male pattern astigmatism. That is, their gaze settled below my eyes, way below, all the way to my cleavage. Well, I'm no kid. It's not my first time at the rodeo, and I just, so I just get through it as though I don't notice it. I need a job. They give me another assignment to do on my own and bring in at my second interview. Two days later, I'm back in there with the boys, feeling like the interview is not going too badly. When one would ask a question, as I answered him, I would try to also glance toward the other to make it more conversational, you know, or to not appear to exclude anyone. But lo and behold, wouldn't you know the astigmatism or focus problem or whatever had gotten worse, much worse. When answering one and turning to the other, it was always the same, always. The non-questioner was staring at my chest as though hypnotized. And when I spoke to them, they never looked back up. It was though they had a system or made a pact. Okay, I'll ask a question while you look, then you ask a question while I look. That must be one of the strange things about being a man. Every time they see a pair of breasts, it's like it's the first time. Like they've never seen such an amazing and wondrous sight before. You know how a dog eats like every time could be the last? The thought occurred to me to subtly undo another button, push my shoulders further back, lick my lips and say, do you think I have what it takes for this job, boys? Or forget subtlety and just grab a hand from each of them, place each hand on a breast and go, say, fellas, can we pick out my desk now and talk about salary? I wrote them each a nice thank you letter afterwards. Note to self. If they call me back, I'll definitely wear a skirt, high heel shoes, and a low neck sweater. Get back home, Loretta. Then there was the auto repair business. I answered the ad in the paper for a receptionist and went in to find a room full of 12-year-olds waiting to interview. A woman in crop jeans with the hair of poorly groomed standard poodle rushes toward me like I came in to steal office supplies. What do you need, she demands irritatingly. I smiled, gave her my name, extending my head, hand. I have an appointment here at 2.30. She doesn't shake my hand, but exhales deeply and instructs me to sit and wait my turn. As she runs away, I take the only available seat, the receptionist chair. She returns, sends one of the barely post-pubescent group in for an interview, and turns sharply toward me and speaks sternly. You just sit tight with a pointed finger like I was an unruly child. I do just that, waiting my turn. This office is ugly. It should be raised, burned down, bulldozed, dynamited. The furniture or furnishings appear to be early 70s and in ill condition. Kale depressing. The other girls go in for their interviews, seven to eight minutes each, and come and they're, and they're out. Then a flamboyantly dressed woman with standard-issue beauty pageant hair sprayed into place invites me in, arms waving to get a dramatic effect from her chiffon poncho as it waves over her leathery from too many years of sun tanning skin, 
Miss Melanoma 2005 waves me toward the only chair to sit in while she plops into her chair. I'm sitting in one of those relics from the early 70s made of some semblance of bent wood into a bucket seat, usually seen in movies or television in the pot party scene, hanging by a chain from the ceiling and containing a bored Jean Shrimpton lookalike. This one, however, is not hanging, but sitting on the floor on its round, swiveling base. I perch myself in as best as I can, but my seat is about 10 inches from the floor, meaning that my knees are about 3 inches from my chin. I may not be tall, but my legs are long, which means I have nowhere to put them, either comfortably or logistically. Miss Chiffon tells me, first, that she's received a ream of resumes by fax and is very busy because it's payday. And her boys get grumpy if they have to wait on their checks. She flips the glamour hair over her shoulder and says to me, I have got to eat, so tell me about yourself while I eat. How old are you? Now, that is an illegal question. And I'm thinking she should know this, but she insists she's older, so I give in and tell her. She is older. I pretend with a look of shock that she must be lying. Oh, no, I'm 57 and dating a man 42 years old. How about that? (laughs) What do I care? If she's happy and he's happy, I guess it pays to volunteer to read to the blind. Now, how we met? She's giving off a very high-energy vibe, the kind that comes from an actor in the middle of performing a dramatic part on Broadway or someone who's bipolar. Do it. She wants to know, do I want to know how they met? Do I know? Do I care? Of course I don't know. I just met you. But she's so hot on the subject, I can only say, well, don't make me guess. Tell me. On a bike ride in upstate New York. Ooh, he's so cute. He's an Adonis. Oh, I've dated Adonises, but, you know, they're usually so busy thinking of themselves. She takes her left hand and, placing it on her right shoulder, begins stroking downwards on her right arm. You know what I'm doing, she asks, with her gleaming eyes boring into me. Yeah, you're being an effing loony tune. Uh, I think so, I say, as I nod and give a fake knowing smile. They can't tell where their arm ends and you begin. They wanted me for decoration. Hmm, I add, but honey, can you blame them? Doesn't she get tired of holding her eyelids that wide open? Except I dumped one Adonis when he said he couldn't date me because my breasts were too small. You know what I told him? I had to dump him anyway because I needed someone with a bigger dick. (laughs) Oh, yeah. She answers the phone and gives another applicant directions. I look around the room from my low roost. An elephant figurine painted in stars and stripes. Photos of her on motorcycles. A few angel figures. Religious pictures and a cross, a plaster gray wolf head, several figures and pictures of lighthouses. Oh, yeah, I can feel the mood here. Hanging up the phone, she turns back to me and stares hard. Because you know I'm clear. Huh? Completely clear. Because I've been celibate for three years. That's how I get rid of the residuals. There's nothing like an old crone secure in the brilliance of her wisdom. She appears to be waiting for a reply. Ah, I say, that's a secret, huh? Well, I had to say something. Something besides, say what? Or, are you out of your rabbit-ass mind? 
Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Do you know every time someone comes near you, they leave a residual, whether it's sex or even if they just get near your face, you have a residual for about four months. Well, I'll be darned. Oh, yeah, but God told me if I give celibacy a try, he'd send me someone beyond my wildest dreams. And, honey, that's exactly what he did. She answers the phone and whirls back around. So what do you know about our business here? Have you looked at our website? A man walks in before I can answer. He hands her an envelope, and she smiles smugly at him. My husband and I started this business 25 years ago. When I got my divorce, I sold him back my half, but I'll always work here. Where else could I go to be so cradled in love and security? Tell me. Nowhere I can think of, I truthfully reply. Want to see my hunk? She's opening an envelope that was delivered. These are from my gorgeous man from our biking trip in Ontario last week. Dreamily at them. Want to see the best-looking man you've ever seen? Well, now, how could I turn that down? My tongue never out of my cheek, as usual. I take the photos and make all the appropriate oohs and ahs, though I can't make out much with the cold-weather bike gear and sunglasses. Ooh, she stomps the floor in multiple staccato poundings. Ooh, I can't stand it. I miss him so much. Girl, the celibacy thing is something else, but I told God I'd save it for marriage this time. Wow, you got a lot of self-control there. Oh, what you waiting for, heifer? Celibacy at your age? It'll take them the first week just to clear the cobwebs out. Give it up, honey. Just give it up. Oh, it's driving him crazy because he's so gorgeous. He's never had it. Nobody tell him no before. I said, I bet nobody's ever said no to you before. And he said, nope, nobody's ever said no to me. Never. You know who that was that came in here? My ex-husband, yep, he's so jealous, and I know he still loves me. He says, but I only had one affair. Too bad. I don't go for that, because when I'm into my man, she inclines her head and winks. I am really, really into my man. You know what I'm saying? Well, following your rapid-fire psycho rambling is like chasing a manic squirrel, but yeah, I think I do. You're saying that you're a very horny loony tune. Oh, yeah, you play it smart. Damn, I'm good. The envelope, please. She answers the phone and then turns back. We have a perfect record with the Better Business Bureau. Perfect. See, we have their logo and a link on our website. Ever complained to the Better Business Bureau about us? How many companies can say that? None that I've ever heard of. My first honest answer. No, no one. But you know that night we were in the cabin, and he was out on the back porch, and he had heavy shoulders, and I had heavy shoulders. And I said, whatever problem you have with your ex-girlfriend has nothing to do with me. This low-rider chair is killing me. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? If I lean back, I look like a stoner. Where can I put my legs without feeling like young Abe Lincoln? I left him on the porch and then came back and told him I was packed and ready to go. He couldn't believe it. I said, I'm all packed. You can take me to the airport. And if I don't hear from you what I need to hear tonight, not what you think I want you to say, not what anybody else has said. I'm leaving, and you can take me to the airport. I'd rather sleep on the airport floor than to stay here with you with heavy shoulders. She leaned in and glared intently at me. It was my turn. Oh, wow, that is really deep. Really, what happened then? It made him think. He wasn't expecting that. 
And if you can't make a man think, she said, punctuating, punctuating each word that followed with a jab of her finger in my direction, he's not worth the salt on his food. Ooh, you ain't never lied, I proudly declare, though I'd never heard that one before. She grabs my resume. What do you want from this job? I'd like $16 hourly and a secret webcam on your crazy ass because no one's going to believe me, and I could probably turn a good movie script or edgy sitcom out of this. The perfectly sprayed hair swings back in my direction. Sixteen? Oh, man, did I lowball Hyville? I sure I've screwed myself now. I hate needing a job this bad. Well, that's the minimum I get from temp agencies. I lie, but... She launches into a fit about temp agencies. I can't listen. I just nod. My back is killing me. I'm glad I wore pants. My head hurts. My back. My seat. I've been in there for 80 minutes. 80 minutes of insanity. Am I on television? Where's that cute little Kutchner boy? Bucking protocol. I comment on how busy she is and try to end the torture uh, interview. It's obvious I could be there 80 more minutes and still know nothing more about the job. Ten excruciating minutes later, she tells me she has more interviews coming tomorrow and will make her choice on Wednesday. You know how I make my final decision? No. But if you're getting wound up again, I swear I'll paper cut my wrist. I take all the resumes, narrow it down to the ones I like the best, spread them out on my bed before I go to sleep. And when I wake up, First name I think of is the one I'll hire. Now that's a plan. I carefully unfold myself and try to balance and stand. Sweet mother of dog, don't let me fall and break one of these precious, cheap, redneck treasures. I'm sure I could find a replacement at Walmart. I shake her hand, but I I don't want to go there. I shake her hand and get out with the quickness. Back into the sunshine and parking lot, I welcome the sticky humidity like an escaped prisoner. With a quick glance over my shoulder to make sure the dog boys aren't drawing a beat on me, I get in my car, buckle up, throw it in first, and fling gravel. Sadly, to be continued. All right. So, that's a rather long story. That was just one of the job hunting segments. So, right now, I told you I'm going to sing to you, too. And this is a song. Um, It's not one of the ones... I haven't written this, but this is uh, on my CD, Everybody's Got to Swing. So I'm going to sing to you, No Moon at All. No moon at all, what a night. Even lightning bugs have dimmed their light. Stars have disappeared from sight, and there's no moon at all. Don't make a sound, it's so dark. Even Fido is afraid to bark. What a perfect chance to part when there's no moon at all. If you need atmosphere for inspiration, dear, one kiss will make it clear that tonight is right and bright moonlight might interfere. No moon at all, up above, this is nothing like they told us of, just to think we fell in love. Thank you. 
All right. Well, I've only got about 11 minutes left, so what am I going to do? I think I'm just going to read you a part of the story. And if you want to find it, the uh, blog is called Memoirs for Misanthrope, and it's on Blogspot, which is uh, a Google blogging platform. You can find that. And, uh, yeah, which one am I going to read now? Because I've only got about 11 minutes. So how about this? And I hope you're enjoying this, and I hope you're snuggled up. And if you um, like this and want to hear some more stories, let me know. And I hope the song sounded better than it sounded (laughs) through these headphones here. So um, let me see. Wait just a minute while I find the next story. Yay. All righty. So I'm going to read just a few bits of another one because I don't have enough time to read it all. But if you like it, you can find it. Okay, this one is called Airline Food. You will know me on any airplane. I bring my own food. That's right, folks. One of my temp adventures was as a cater was at a caterer for a large airline. They prepared the food, took it to the plane, and barring any fights, time out for a beer, weed, sex, or any other hazard specific to the mission, loaded it on the plane. A merger meant that the airline caterers had to hire about 500 people, so a temp had been brought in to support human resources throughout the process. And I was to replace that temp while she went on vacation. I had one day for her to train me. Now, Cindy was a pint-sized Diana Ross transplanted from New York to the South who claimed to be Haitian by birth. She and her husband had both worked for a very large bank and had been transferred south before she was laid off. If she weighed 50 pounds, it would be in full soaking wet wintertime attire and heavy jewelry. The first thing she did was to shut the door to our office and proceed to badmouth the actual HR department there. The office was in the back right quadrant of the building and had two doors. One opened onto the hallway inside the building. To its immediate left was the office for the company's two HR employees, and across was the cafeteria where employees could eat three meals a day for free. And to the right was a perpendicular hallway. Turn right, walk 10 feet, make a sharp right, walk eight to an outside door. Turn left on that hallway, and there was a gate that led to an area where the meals for the planes were prepared. Now, directly opposite our office door, was another door which led to a hall by the back doorway. People could come in the back door of the building, enter the hallway, and knock on that door of the HR temps to inquire about a job. Cindy said HR wanted us to ask if they had applied online, and if not, tell them that was the first step. Apply online, then we would call them to come in, complete paperwork, and send them for a blood test. And if all went well at that point, we would call them to come in for the job offer and orientation. It didn't take much time for see Cindy made up the rules as she went along. 
The two HR employees, Selena and Tanya, seemed to shut their doors all day. So Cindy ran her own business, gave me an hour's worth of training, seven hours worth of complaining, and most of the complaining was about the company, the rest to inform me of her superiority to the HR department. After all, she and her husband had worked in a bank's corporate office, and though they had laid her off, she was still corporate and from New York, a boost to her esteemed status. Cindy had a couple of annoying habits. When she talked, at the end of a sentence or phrase, she'd say, mm-hmm, with a high-rising accent on the hmm, as though she were assuring you that what she said was just true. She also kept a space heater blasting at the highest temperature in 95 to 100 degree, humid, deep south, blazing, hot August misery. Oh, and she had a chronic snort. What do I mean by chronic? I counted, and I mean snort. I counted 38 disgusting snorts in 60 seconds. Did she stay thin from cocaine? I told myself it was just one day that I'd have a week of work in peace, and she acknowledged that it annoyed some people, but I have sinus. Mm-hmm. I do. I have sinus. Trying to get the work done wasn't easy. People came to the door that led outside to get a job. They came in alone, in pairs, in groups, in whole families, and knocked, beat, or banged on the door or the window beside it. If I were on the phone or unable to hear them, they would bang harder and yell, I know you're in there, damn it. Now open this door, damn it, and get me a job. (laughs) Opening the door was like a game show. You might find somebody dressed in proper business attire for an interview, but not often. It was anything from nightclub attire, shorts, flip-flops, and tube tops, or huge high heels, sheer clothes, three-inch nails, swimsuits, baggy pants, tank tops. Sometimes I opened the door to find an entire family, four generations in traditional Indian garb, including saris, turbans, tunics, etc., all wanting a job, or a Vietnamese family right out of central casting for Apocalypse Now. They begged me to give them a job. I understood. I was temping there myself without knowing how long I'd be earning a check, but I needed to get them to understand the proper procedure. On the morning of my last day, I told Selena and Tanya to feel free to ask me to do or help with any job and get their money's worth out of me. They replied they planned to keep me longer to help. Well, that's great news. Besides, I really liked them and felt that they knew their their temp Cindy was a bit of a wild card. A wild card who was surprised to see me when she returned. I wasn't any happier about being back in her snorting, bitching, blazing inferno. Cindy continued to operate by her own rules. HR kept their doors shut, and when employees begged to get their family members hired, she was quick to make it happen and just as quick to gloat to me about the cash gifts she received from them. Yes, she showed me the money. She also somehow managed to avoid work for hours visiting pals around the building and then put in 20 to 30 hours of overtime on her time card each week. I guess she was superior to all of us, as she said, because she was raking in the big money. As I was given more responsibility, I found the process improvements easily. So tasks that Cindy had spent 10 or more hours on, I completed in two or three. This does not make a new temp popular with the old temp. Ah, there were also the phone messages to be retrieved, and Cindy found them very entertaining. Yeah, I just want to 
someone to know that I'm going to file a sexual harassment because yesterday before my shift started, I found TJ in his truck behind the building having sex with Natalie. And me and TJ have been together for a month now. And he said he wasn't having sex with anybody else. So I need to file for sexual harassment. Beep. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, like I came in and I went for my drug test and all that, but I haven't heard back from you. And this about the drug test. Well, I'm on some strong antibiotics and painkillers that might cause a problem. Hey, this is Mary. My husband might try to pick up my check tomorrow, but don't let him because he and my boyfriend got in a fight last night and he stole my car and it had my weed in it. And so on. The fights were another source of amusement, especially after they had to tell their side of it. And I think I'm going to let that go right there. There's more to that story, but if you want to find it, Memoirs of a Misanthrope on Blogspot. And uh, thank you for listening. I hope I entertained you. I'm going to close out with another song from my CD, Everybody's Got the Swing. It's the title song. And uh, I hope you have a wonderful evening. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for following me, for downloading, for sharing with your friends. I am so grateful to you, and I love you all. So good night, and remember, everybody's got to swing. Okay, now. Good night.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.